This is the Catholic Water. And then, and then one day, she said, I have a secret. I said, what? I've got this magical thing. It was a locket. And then she goes, this has magical powers. All I knew was, that's not where you want to be, is to be a set of accountants. That means you're out of the church. We never were able to discuss it, because no one discussed it. I mean, you, you learn your encyclicals and everything, but you stop short of actually condemning the Pope. And if you do, Keep it to yourself. Coming from the district superior, he said, well, when we start saying the new mass, you can say, that's enough. Say, so you have abandoned us, and you have misled us. You have to fix this. Every day is a blessing to be so close to the Blessed Sacrament, to be able to go to mass every day. You know, even if I have nothing, this is everything. In the last decades, many Catholics have experienced terrible moral persecution. Their faith, their traditions, were taken away from the churches. Many have lived for many years ignorant of the deprivation they suffered. Some are still going through that painful and at once beautiful process of rediscovering the Catholic faith. For the encouragement of those still in that journey, faithful Catholics have shared with us their challenges trials, and blessings. This is the story of their journey, back to the faith. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Wire. This is your host, Father Carlos Cepeda, and you're seeing our new interview of Back to the Faith. Today we're being joined by Angie. Angie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Father. Angie is going to tell us the story of how she came uh, to know the Catholic faith, how she has been raising her children. How many children do you have now? I have 12. 12 children, and she's raising them here in America. So, Angie, I appreciate it very much. It was a very, uh, we did this with very short notice, like one hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. So, um, where were you born? How did you grow up? How did you come to find the Catholic faith? Okay, um, I was born in Malaysia. Um, there's just three of us. Where my my mom is Baptist, and my father's Buddhist. So I went to church Sunday. I mean Sunday church, close by. Um, biggest thing was Christmas. You know, once a year you 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 go to Christmas and they have their activities. So that was my first. We said, well, we, we had Bible, Bible study, Bible school. We learned about the different Bible stories and did the coloring. That was my first exposure to, I said, God, probably. And, um, but I said, for the Catholic faith, it was when my mom sent me to a Catholic school in Malaysia because she had um, thought that, you know, learning English was important. So she sent me to an English school and the ones that speak English was, you know, a Catholic school. I remember it was St. Francis Convent School. Uh, yeah, Convent, St. Francis Convent School. And I remember going there and I don't, I didn't tell anyone what religion I was because my mom just sent me to, to Sunday school, but we don't know anything. We just follow. And when they asked me what religion I was, I don't know, you know. So they, they had a, like during recess, they have a group. You know, if you're Muslim, you go to Islamic, you know, studies. So if you're Catholic, you, you follow the nuns and, you know, so, and if you're a Buddhist, you, you don't do anything. You just, okay. you know, have your recess, you know. So I went through, because I have several friends and one was, uh, it was in Islam. So I would just sit there and then she learned her Jawi and I just watched because I have no idea what's going on. I didn't do anything. I just watched. And then I had this one English friend, which is uh, kind of unusual because it's mostly Asians. Mm -hmm. So I think she was from out of town. 
So her name was Georgiana, so she was Catholic. Of course, I had no idea. It was, it's a Catholic school, so she was Catholic. And I think that was a, and oh, yeah, we have a grotto with Our Lady okay. in the grotto. I mean, I don't know anything about Our Lady, but I did know that recess time, we, all the kids would go there. And we had these uh, bushes of flowers. And it was a habit of all these kids, they would take these flowers and make a chain of necklaces for Our Lady. And we would put a whole bunch of it on her statue. And, and I thought that was really neat. So I did them too. And I would put it on her, not knowing anything, just thought it was nice. And I would just sit there and just like, how nice it was, you know? And um, so this, this girl was a Catholic. And I remember following her to, because she was Catholic, she went for catechism. Of course, I had no idea what it was then. I think it was a chapel. So I remember following her into this room. And I think it was a chapel because it was pews and we all went in and sat down. And I remember seeing these most beautiful necklaces, as I thought they were, but they were rosaries. And I thought they were like jewels because the sun was shining on them and it was, it was really beautiful. And I remember those. And then, and then one day, she said, I have a secret. I said, what? I've got this magical thing. So she took me to the bathroom and she said, I need to show this to you. So she opened it up. It was a locket. And then she goes, this has magical powers. I said, wow, you know, what is this magical power? And she didn't have a name for it, you know? And it was until when I went to Canada, that's when I followed my uncle. He was in Canada and he introduced me to the Catholic faith. And then I was, you know, taught the rosary and taught about the scapular. And, and then I saw the miraculous medal. And that brought me back to that time. Like, I've seen this before. It was this girl. She showed me the miraculous medal. And she says, this is so powerful. And I had no idea. I was like, wow, it's got like, yeah, magical powers. But of course, she couldn't tell me because we were all very young. I think maybe second grade, probably. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, very yeah. young. So it was really neat because when I realized it, that it was that, it was, how do you say? It's like, like Our Lady was watching. Yeah, yeah. And like... bringing me there. Like, so it was, it was a nice, you know, moment. They say that Our Lady never, uh, she never keeps anything to herself. Yeah. Even the slightest benefit that we do for her or prayer that we do for her, she'll take it and reward us for it. Yeah. And I was thinking that as you were giving, you know, thinking of giving her the, the yeah. crowns of yes. flowers. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm sure that she took that. Yeah, I always brought, you know, whenever I go through life, that moment always come back to me. That just brief moment when I gave that and I just sat there and look at her, not knowing who she was, you know, but it always brings me back to that. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah. Um, what happens when you become a teenager, when you become an adult? Uh, do you still stay in Malaysia or? I spend most of my years away from home. So when I left for Canada, I was maybe 10. And then <clears throat> I stayed with my uncle and um, at that time, he was a Novo Sordo, mm -hmm. and he was transitioning to traditional. And then we went from, I mean, I went to Novo Sordo Mass, you know, they had all the priests on stage, clapping, all that, you know, I went through all that. And I didn't participate because I wasn't baptized yet. Okay. I just went along, and he was in the middle of transitioning. And then um, I left, I went to uh, England. From that time, went to England briefly for about a year. And that was a uh, Anglican school, so it was you know Anglican church. They have all the singing, you know. So I didn't actually became a Catholic and baptized until after that. I went back to Canada again, and I went to homeschooling, and it was a family. I think maybe 10, 10 children. Mm -hmm. So they had us a teacher that came in to teach all the kids. So I joined them. And as one of the students, but in a home, homeschooling, I was about 13, 13. So that's when I got my instructions to, you know, with the faith and learn the catechism and got baptized. Yeah, and through that experience. And I was confirmed by Archbishop Lefebvre. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and oh, well. yeah, and confirmed and same year. So after that, I went to St. Mary's, Kansas. That's the sixth grade school, and I graduated there, high school, graduated there. Yeah. So pretty much, that was pretty much my exposure to Catholicism was through that. I mean, I learned all my catechism was through that. When you went to St. Mary's, your uncle was uh, still supporting you? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I would say. That. I mean, my parents was supporting me, to, you know, to, to be there. Yeah. And do you know what moved him to, to start moving to tradition? I'm not sure how he was exposed to it. Uh, he never really explained. But I know when he became traditional, he, he was, I mean, it was pretty complete. I mean, he wasn't like, once he was in it, she was like all for it. And I was, he was pretty much instrumental in bringing the traditional um, setup in Asia because of, you know, his, his sisters were, you know, big financial um, support for the whole region. So that's how they set up the XXPX um, mass centers for the Philippines and, all the Asian regions and from Malaysia too. So he was the one that started that or helped? Start he was it? the one, yeah, he was the one encouraged his sister. He, after he converted to Nor- uh, from Norwood to traditional, he also converted his sister over. So his sister became a big supporter of the traditional movement in the Asian region. Yeah, and so, I mean, after college, I went back home. Those uh, center was set up by, you know, with the help of his sister in Singapore. Their main headquarters was in Singapore, which where they're still staying right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your impression? You know, you went to the Novo Sordo mm-hmm. church for a while. You were pretty young, so I think you, you would not be precisely analyzing all the theology no, behind no, it. No, no but one was explaining. What was your impression from changing from the Novo Sordo to the traditional uh, mass and to the true mass, I should say? Because I was just 10 years old, I mean, going to the Novo Soto, it was just like, it's entertaining. You, you just see people talking, laughing, clapping, whatever father was saying. So I didn't feel any reverence in it. I just go and I, I didn't feel there was anything to do with God, really. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's almost the same as the, the Baptist church. I think probably even less because even in the Baptist church, we learn about, you know, God in the Bible. I mean, when I went to the Norso, they didn't even have that. We just sat in the pew and just listened to the priest talk and then just saying. And to me, I, I had any, no participation really in my mind or thinking what he was saying. So when I went to the traditional mass, then was when I realized it was Catholic, you know, and it was very beautiful. And, and you know, it was the mass and the sacrifice, all that came out and the belief of that came through there. It, it didn't, nothing registered for the Novo Sordo Mass, nothing, mm-hmm. in, in terms of sacrifice or, you know, being a Catholic. You know, it was just two different worlds. Two different worlds. So when is it that you end up moving to, to Malaysia again? I, I went back to Malaysia after I finished high school and then stayed there for, because um, before college, they, they, I had a training program where I spent part of the year back home and then part of the year in, in the States. So that's what I ended up doing for my college. So I spent some time back home and then I went back to the States to finish my degree. But then after that, I came home and stayed pretty much until now, really, with my children because I raised them in Malaysia and uh, instead of outside. But during that time was, we went, we attend masses at XXPX and um, they have their center in Singapore then? That's yes, where you went to? yes. They, they come every month. Mm-hmm. Sometime if they can, they come, you know, twice a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and, you know, it's randomly. I mean, sometimes they have more priests than you can have it once a week. It all depends how their schedule is. But we remain a remote post for them. It was it never grew really big. It was around 50 people. At least when I'm there, because I left almost ten years ago, so it was always an outpost. We not, we didn't have schools, so we all did homeschooling. Mm-hmm. The the I mean, there were not many families. It was just maybe two families that were actually had 
children. So we, we both just did our own, you know, homeschooling when we were there. And for me, I, I send the kids out when they started, like after sixth grade, I would send them out overseas. Probably because I had the same kind of background of going overseas because during my time, I left home when I was 10 and it was the thing to do for parents to send their kids overseas for, you know, education overseas, Canada or, or England or wherever. So I've always been very independent in, in such a thing. I always left home early, right? So for me to send the kids out was natural. natural. Mm -hmm. So seeing how there was really no education, Catholic education, since I was brought up going to, you know, St. Mary's and boarding school. So I, I wanted that for my kids. So I sent, at the time, I sent my two oldest, uh, yeah, my eldest daughter went to the Dominican school, mm -hmm. but run by the nuns up in upstate New York. And then my son, I sent to XSPX school in Canada. Mm -hmm. So they're about three hours apart from each other. So I, I went, let them, was hoping that they went through those, you know, Catholic formation, yeah. which is not available back in Malaysia. That's one thing that I was asking, because, or I wanted to ask, because when I was uh, spending time with your son in the border house, uh, one time we were talking about how, what it was like to grow in Malaysia, because Malaysia is not a Catholic country. Yeah. The majority there is Muslim, yeah. right? So what, what was it like to be a Catholic in there? Uh, if you're expecting persecution, no. There's really no persecution. Um, for us, because we have such a big family, it's more like an abnormality. It's like, what do we say? The word is, it's not normal to see a big family. I would think that with Muslims, you would see like huge families. No, no. For the earlier generation, yes. Mm -hmm. But for the younger generation, you'd be surprised if you can find more than three kids. Even for the Muslim, wow. they, they don't have that many children, even for the Muslims. So for, for them to see us, it's odd and unusual to have such a big family at our age. Mm -hmm. And they usually think that my husband had more than one wife to be able to have so many kids. <laughs> so is it one? Yes, it's just one wife. So that's always been the thing. They think this is not just one family. It's probably several family put together. Mm -hmm. But no persecution from... But I think I get a lot of people trying to explain why they don't have so many children. Mm, okay. Yeah, not so much ridicule. You do have occasionally some people. They, I remember there was one one uh, man as we were walking out the out of the grocery store and out the checkout, and he was pointing out his son how lucky he was to be the only child that, you know, you don't have so many siblings where, you know... You, That's terrible. Yeah, and he was, it was sad because the son was looking at him like, I don't know what you're talking about because all the kids were, they were happy, yes. you know, but of course in his eyes, it was like, oh, it's so unfortunate that they have so many siblings. They must be very hard, very hard to, you know, make ends meet and all that. But of course that's not the case, obviously. But for the most part, people are amazed that we could have such a big family and they weren't they were like you know the Chinese in the Chinese culture it it was something good to have a big family so if you see the older James when they see me they're very happy he said it's wonderful you have such a big family you know and we don't see that anymore and it's for them it's happiness and a lot of them they have their kids they don't have kids and they feel sad about it. He said, I, you know, I wish I had, my kids had more children. And some of them, I, I just, I wish I had more children. And because of, you know, like commitments or whatever, they never had. And, yeah. and they always said, it's, it's a good thing what you're doing. You know, it's a really good thing. So it's always been a compliment. There's never been any persecution. I think it was uplifting for them to see people that were different. And I would say it was inspiring for them mm -hmm. in some way. Sure. Yeah, I mean, to us it's nothing because we're so used to having kids around. But for them, it was, you know, sometimes we have people just literally count as we walk by, mm -hmm. one, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> and then the funny thing was they wouldn't know until. And then there's one in the it coming still. I said, "There's another one in here." They're like, oh. you know, they would look at me like, oh, "It's really, 
it's it's really it's I mean I never felt persecuted in in the Muslim country in that sense it wasn't I would guess that Singapore is probably more of a modern Muslim culture you know not so much a not so as extremist as, for example, Afghanistan and those kind of yeah, places. Yeah, I think those places would be considered Muslim uh, extremists because in our country, I would say, religion, Islamic religion, is not. It's not really a religion like the way you know the Afghanistan people put it. It's they're very moderate, and they're they're used as a weapon. In my country, I believe it's used as a weapon, political weapon. Okay. To to divide people, that's what they use the religion for. Mainly, is to divide the people. Muslim, you're Malay, you are underprivileged because the Chinese people oppresses you. They have more, so it's taken away from you. So it's not really the religion they're using. It's just in a, a way to separate the people. Mm -hmm. They use it for politics. Politics mainly. So there's no really persecution in a sense of religion. Now, I'm intrigued as, you know, you grew up then with the SSPX. Uh, I, I admire the challenge of, of homeschooling, you know, so many children. That definitely, that was not easy. And they, they you know, I, I know some of your children. I, I, I saw them, most of them in school and they were all very good in school. You know, they were all very responsible. So uh, you did a good job, certainly. <laughs> or not. <laughs> well, it, it's homeschooling. It has limitations. Yeah, definitely. Because that's the only choice we have, being you know in a country where there's no education to speak of. So we have to do homeschooling, but that means keeping our children, you know, because it's just one family, mm -hmm. and there's no friends that have the same belief as you. So they're all kept to themselves. So that is the bad part because you don't have an extended, you know society for them to mingle with and learn outside. So they're very closed off. In that and, situation. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean in terms of socializing, I mean that's there always there always people around me saying, oh, homeschooling, your kids will be very awkward and kind of social. Yes, it's true, depending on the child, because out of so many kids I have, some are awkward for sure. But some are social butterflies. You know, they have no problem. They know every single person in the neighborhood, whereas I don't. So <clears throat> it depends on the child. Yeah. But of course, it's best to go to a Catholic school when they mingle with others. Yeah. You know, it's best. Now, what, uh, at what moment did you stop going to the SSPX? What, what, what moves you to start looking for other priests, you know, to start looking into... Uh, the possibility of, you know, the Holy See being vacant and all those things. Yes. Um, my first, uh, I remember hearing about certificantism. That was when I was a senior in high school. And I think that time was when they had, someone tried to split, obviously. That's when these kind of topic comes up. But I was just a child, you know, a teenager. So I didn't give any thought at that time. All I knew was that's not where you want to be is to be a set of accountants. That means you're out of the church. That was my first impression of what set of accountism is. Because you were in St. Mary's, Kansas. I was in St. Mary's, so Kansas. Probably right? they told you about yes. it. Yes, yeah. and, and at that time, as a child, you, you're not exposed to all these turmoil in XXPX. You're sheltered, pretty much. They don't tell you anything. So in my perception at that time, I thought they were very conservative and everything was... You know, it's just that the Pope is not acting like a Pope. That was pretty much it. And we never were able to discuss it because no one discussed it. I mean, you, you learn your encyclicals and everything, but you stop short of actually condemning the Pope. And if you do, keep it to yourself. Don't discuss this with anybody. So for the most part, all our friends were like, yeah, we don't think he's the Pope, but we're not going to talk about it. But we're still going to go to church and we're going to, oh, it's just nothing, not something you would discuss and do anything about. So we just continue thinking that everyone was traditional the way they're supposed to be until, of course, when I was in Malaysia, things started, you know, surfacing when, when they talk about going back to Rome. 
So every time they talk about going to back to room, that's when the question of hmm, what's going on, right? So you mean when when the SSPX has started yeah, negotiating? Yeah, negotiating. I think this is like the second time they they do this negotiation. That's when I was yeah. well aware of you know what was. Then I started looking and said, what is going on? Because then it was affecting my parish because they were serious enough to discuss it with the priest as what's what's really going on? Are you really you know, going back to Rome. Mm -hmm. And we will have the district superior come over and explain, and then we would say, well, what, what would be the, what would be the turn, time when we should put our foot down and said, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Coming from the district superior, he said, well, when we start saying the new mass, you can say, that's enough. You, you can leave now, okay? So that's what he said. But as you know, it's never that clear cut, mm-hmm. right? But so we would just watch all the drama as they go through the negotiation and then next week, what's next? Are they going to meet? Are they going to, you know, say something? You know, is my decision going to say something? Are they going to meet and discuss this or, you know, anything? Mm-hmm. So as time went by, you knew that they weren't going to fight it. They were going to, you know, they were for it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I realized that as, the, as it was happening, the, they were actually introducing more uh, liberal people into the church, okay. in, into the chapel. We would have um, French people coming over from France. And, um, you know, we would think, oh, they're from... You know, Franjou, they should be very traditional, right? Mm-hmm. And then it turned out they're not as traditional. They were more liberal. Mm-hmm. They would come in in their beach attire, like shorts, you know, and and they wouldn't wear veils, you know. And then we were looking at the priest and like, are you going to say anything? And they didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So then my kids would start questioning. Hey, why were they not wearing skirt? Why they and they would go to church and, you know, like that. And even when we give her a veil, she would... You know, put it aside. So I, I, finally, I went up to the priest and said, "Well, can you explain? You know, what's going on?" Well, just tell your children. Not everyone thinks like them, and we just have to be understandable. That was it. You know, and then it was getting more and more liberal, more tolerant of the liberal way things are being done, and they would slowly introduce people to come and sing, and which was weird because we have our choir and small as it may be and perfect MSB, but you don't get some choir director and come sing just to sing. You know, they're not part of the parish and you see them come in and prepare to sing, you know? And then, and then the priest comes out, what do, you, what do you think? How do you, f-? I'm like, what do I think? What would I think anything? Because he's not part of this parish. He came here just to sing. And between their singing, they'll be chatting, you know, because there's a room that, that, you know, we have the crying room where the kids are supposed to stay in, so they don't, because it's a very small chapel. And they would be there waiting to perform. So before they performed, they were talking in the room. And it was very puzzling. And for somehow the priest was very excited about this new movement of having someone introducing, you know, special, I don't know, Singers. Yeah, singers and <laughs> special hymns that we've never heard of, you know. So little things like that, they were creeping in. And I, I just out of curiosity, were these hired people or were these supposed to be friends, traditional? T- friends of the, the parish, like the younger generations. And they knew these people and they brought them in and to sing. And they sang with these, you know, these youth that was in the choir. So, and they stop us from singing because we usually, you know, and especially we sing everything together, you know, the, the mass, all the Gloria, we sing together. So when they came in, nobody could sing because it was their job now. It was like a job because it felt like that because they didn't do anything else but sing. Yeah. It, it, it was that. Then, and, then, and then with, with Bishop Williamson leaving because... And it was quite weird because he took him a while to decide to leave. And he didn't do anything. We, we were hoping he would go there like a lion and, you know, say, no, we don't do this. But, but he just 
quietly walk away and form his own group, you know. So we started researching, you know, with the mass and because we never really did any research because everything was just handed to us, you know, the mass, everything. We just said, oh, this is the mass and that's it, right? So when they start saying, we, you know, that if the mass had this, if the mass had that, then it's valid, you know? So then we look and said, there must be a way to protect this. You can't just say if this, if that. I mean, anything could be if this, if that, and you know, you'll be something else, right? So we, we looked into a lot of, you know, like, the papal bull, that was that was the turning point for me because there is such a document mm -hmm. that says this mass is the only mass and no other. Coprimum. Yeah, coprimum. Mm -hmm. So, and I realized it's in the front of their missile that they use every day. So I, I draw that to their attention. It's like, why are you not using this to defend your stand? You know, since you you are all about, you know, Mass offense, St. Pius V and everything. I said, what, what, quote, premium? I had that coming from a priest telling me, and I was like, you do not know this thing in front of your missile? I was shocked, right, to say the least. So it was, it was, I think it was because we took it for granted that what we thought that was really XSPX was not really XSPX. So we just never questioned it. But in actual fact, they really weren't about you know, tradition in the full sense. It was just about offering you the mass because everything it was about the mass. Because if I question any further, it says, just be grateful, you have the mass. That was it. I was gonna ask you that actually. Did they ever did they ever talk, for example, about the problems with the faith, you know, uh, the dangers to the faith, the heresies that are being said in Vatican II? Did they ever mention any of those things or, or less no? and less. When they decided that they want to cross over, they nearly never talk about it anymore, because talking about it would bring up, you know, contradiction that they have to address. Of course. You know, and obviously they, they don't want to address that, and that's why that a lot of people don't leave. I, I assume that it's just because you never talk about. It, you just assume that they thought the same way as you did, you know, and so you never discuss and you just attend mass and just grateful that you have mass, you know, and. And we are all grateful. So when we started questioning, they said, well, if you go that way, that means there is no ch church today. The church is gone if you went, continue and pursue this, you know, your thinking about that the Pope is no longer the Pope. That means there is no church and that the God has abandoned us. I was like, but that can't be right. You can't say because of all this, then your conclusion is the church has abandoned you. I would say you have abandoned us and you have misled us. You have to fix this, you know, and you can't put this responsibility on the faithful. We found out that this is all hocus pocus. So we have in due conscience to address it, but it's not in our capacity to fix it. And it's not our fault that if the church is in this state, and we realize it's in this state, and, and we have to continue just so that we can have the Mass. And that, that's what was the reasoning they're giving us, that, well, if you go that way, that means we don't exist. Well, and if that was the case, then every time that there was a vacancy of the Holy See, mm -hmm. when it lasted for six or one year, you could say, well, God has abandoned us. Yeah. You know, just because there is no, no physical man as a Pope. When yeah. there can be a Pope, it just has to be elected, or there has to be something that yeah. allows us to have a Pope. But um, that argument just doesn't cut because it's like, just because the situation is dire, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that the church is gone. I think always, for example, of the of St. Peter. Imagine the first Christians, they were just told by St. Peter and St. Paul that this is the, Christ, the church of God, that you're going to rest mm -hmm. to rise again, that Christ is going to come. And then they see St. Peter and Paul at the same day crucified and being persecuted. Right. At that time, they could have said that. They could have said, well, God has abandoned us. Yeah. But they didn't. I mean, it was a terrible situation. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It just means it's all in the providence of God and you have to cope with what you have. Yes. Right? Chastisement, end yeah. times, whatever you want to call it. But it's, he didn't abandon us. It's probably our sin that caused this. Mm -hmm. So we have abandoned God and this is just the punishment 
do to us in, in some sense, you know? I think that is the best explanation for it, for sure. What was the moment that where you did said no more? When you said, okay, we have to find someone else? Well, it wasn't really straight cut, you know? I mean, we decided to leave. And then, of course, the resistant group came into the picture. Because, you know, it's, you know, on hindsight, you realize that they hold long, long enough, not saying anything, not, not going against the, 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 the returning. And then next thing you know, they have a group. Mm -hmm. Because then they see how many people are actually leaving, and they don't want you to find out about certificantism. And so they set up a group, okay, we are the ones that do not want to go back. Mm -hmm. So you can stay with us. Is the resistance of the resistance. Yes, the resistance <laughs> of the resistance. So we were with them for a while. They came to our house and offer masses and everything. Of course, every time they come over, we would discuss. And then we, we find it really odd because they were still very good friends with the people that, you know, that they left, supposed to have split with. Because I would say, you know, so what's going on with them? Because we, since we left, we, we don't have any communication with the XXPX, right? So we would ask him, so do you know what's going on and everything? Oh yeah, we still see them, we still visit them, we still sit down and have meals with them. Like, really? So we, we're the same, really. It's just that we don't want to go back now, but they do. But everything else is still the same. So that's when we started thinking, so, so you're really the same then, really? And then we asked them, the one thing really got at me was the point that really is like, we cannot continue with them, just not, was when I questioned them, because I know that XXPX, they came up with these CDs and teach people how to say the Latin mass. Mm -hmm. And I always had questions for them, and why do you just promote this to give to whoever, the priest, you know, no sort of priest, to say this mass? I said, do you not, not concerned with whether the validity of their coordination? I would ask them that. And I said, no, well, at, at worst, it would be just a play mass. Nothing bad actually happened. At worst, it would be what? At worst, it was just a play mass. You know, when you're in kindergarten, a boy just pretend the same mass? At worst, Yikes. that's it. It's, it's not a mass, but nothing bad really happened. Just idolatry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I was shocked. Wow. Coming from an exorcist, like, so that was it? I mean, you, you let them say this mass. So, so if they're not valid, please, we'll just play mass. Nothing really bad happened. That's what they told me. I was really shocked. And another thing was um, about the Pope doing what he's doing, spewing heresy and all that. And This was at the time of Francis already. Yeah, I think so. That's a split that they were doing with Bishop Williamson. So I asked him about the Pope. How do you accept a Pope that is pretty much not, you know, not even Catholic, you know? The, the answer was fantastic in many sense. It's, he said, you know, the first pope was not really Peter. It was Caiaphas. It was Caiaphas. I was like, huh? Oh, that was not in my catechism. I never knew that Caiaphas was the first pope. Mm -hmm. Yes, he was the head of the church if he had accepted Christ, but he didn't. So Jesus had no choice in elected Peter as the head of the church, but the first one was actually Caiaphas. That is why the reason it's okay we have a <clears throat> heretic, because it's okay if somebody's against the church, against the, you know, Christ and still be the head of the church. See, Caiaphas was a prime example. Mm -hmm. He was the head and he was against Christ. So therefore, that was his reason he gave me for why we can acknowledge the Pope. As a her heretic. As a, yes, but pope. still the Pope. That was, that was my... This is the, you know, I, I really have to have pity for them because their position is illogical. It's very illogical. You can't defend it, and because you can't defend it, you, are so, you have to come up with something, and that's where they come up with these errors, because it's like, how do I explain to the people? And it's, it's that is a blessing that I have, I say, I, I, we all have, I would say, in our position, and that's why, my, myself, that's why I'm here. Because I, I could not be in that position where I would have to... It's a full contradiction. Yeah, when I would have to teach to people something that I know myself is illogical, that I cannot explain. Yes. 
And, and I feel bad for them, but on the other hand, well, you put yourself in that position. I, I think it's very, it's very cynical because it, you know, I was, you know, we, we know that the devil cannot make you sin, mm -hmm. right? You have to agree to, you know, acknowledge and say, I want to commit this act. So I think by putting the faithful in, in a situation where they acknowledge something is wrong, but have to compromise and accept it is making them fall into sin. Because here it's very plain true that the Pope is not acting as Pope, but you must accept them. It's like saying this is sin, but I have to you know, accept the fact I will do it anyway. So this contradiction that you're making the faithful be in is causing them to lose their faith because they're not living the faith if they have to accept the Pope a, a, a heretic to be the Pope, and then at the same time supposed to be doing good works as a Catholic because they will get nothing out of it because they are being the state saint by accepting this Pope. Well, and to me the greatest danger is that, as you said, you're doing something that is contradicting the faith, what the teachings of the church, right. because the church has never taught that the Pope can err mm -hmm. or make the, the, the whole of the church err in matters of faith and morals, which is what's happening. They say, no, that's not happening, but you're seeing it with your own eyes. Right. But you so, have to accept it. Mm -hmm. That means indirectly in you're accepting the sin, accepting that the Pope can do that. Or at least minimizing it. The next question I have is, when do you come in contact with Bishop Ivaronas, with the priests of the CMRI? Oh, yes. that's um, So we, we didn't go to Mass anymore. We just stayed home and saw rosary. And I, of course, still searching to the answer, like, do we have a Pope? Do we not have a Pope? So I stumbled on the information of the Pope in red, Cardinal Siri, and that was a some really, you know, something that could have happened. And and I stumbled on this priest, Father Quat, so-called knew, you know, the Pope in hiding, and so he knew who was the Pope that came after Cardinal Siri. Everything is in hiding, right? So he offered to have, you know mass said for us in Malaysia and he said we, he found a priest that would do it for us so we've arranged and all of a sudden he canceled on me because he said oh I couldn't come so I wasn't gonna have the priest come by himself and but it turned out the priest came anyway and not of course in his own capacity not you know representing the underground pope and everything so he came and said mass for us and then we started talking and he was you know no more sort of background and of course, I think he got reordained and then we started talking about how he came across this Carl Siri thing and then and I told him how I found and and then we started talking, it was like, hmm, there's certain something's missing, you know, and it doesn't seem to tally. And then we started researching on them and to make the story short, they were actually hoax. They were scamming people mm. with this idea about the Pope underground, just to get people to support them financially, but they were all scam. So that leaves us with nothing. So that's when the priest said, you know, I heard about CMRI. Why don't you, you know, find out about them? So I said, mm, maybe I'll do that, you know, since, you know, they're valid and everything. And at that time, Sister Mankella, she, she wanted to be a nun for the longest time. And How old was she at the time? That time, probably... 13, 14, maybe? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So she wanted to be a nun, but she has been one of them since she was like three. So she's been, like again, very interested. And so the priest said, why don't you see if you can get her to go there? So that's when I came over to check out the CMRI. And um, yeah, I think I came alone with my one of my babies. And, and it was so different. I remember coming the first time and seeing Bishop at the foot of the, <coughs> excuse me, the church. And um, I mean, I, my whole life was exposed to XSPX Bishop. <coughs> and uh, they've always have been a very, how do you say, regal yeah. air about them, right? But with Bishop Furness, it was like a father 
very kind, and very close to the people. And that was not what I've experienced before. And I, and I found that to be, that's how it was supposed to be. It just, in my mind, it was like, that's how a bishop's supposed to be, to be caring you know, for, for the faithful and not be so aloof and just come with all their regalia and, you know, to be expected to be served. He was serving the people like how the apostles were serving the people. And this was that, that's what really made me feel that this was the true church. And, and that's why I decided to bring sister here and my kids here. Yeah, that was why it was just very different, very different. At that time he started uh, sending probably Father Christoph from Russia? After that. Okay. Who was the first priest from the CMRI to come to? I think it was Father Molina. Oh, okay. Father Molina, Father Gerard. That they come like very, very seldom, like when they, like maybe during the school holidays and they would come. Mm -hmm. But later it was Father Christoph when he established a more frequent route to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. then, then he would come over to Malaysia when he comes to the Philippines and he would spend like maybe three days in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. So it was like maybe every two weeks mm -hmm. or at least a month, once a month, we would have mass for three days. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. was a treasure. <laughs> well, it's still more than it's still more than what the XXP was giving them, you know, because they were just like once once a month. Because being an outskirt, you, you get what you get, you know. Yeah. So three days every time it's a lot, mm -hmm. you know. Although it's not Sunday, but it's still it's still a lot, yeah. you know. Then most people even here, I think, you know, being remote, they don't even get masses that many times in a month, right? I remember when I was driving Chris, Father Christopher one time to a mission and he, something happened, I'm not going to say it here on the video, but something happened that uh, we had to go find uh, communion wine. Mm. And uh, well, what I'm not going to say in the video is how we tried to find communion wine because we were like out in South Dakota in oh. this little town and there was nowhere around right. anything clerical, you know, right, it's right, like the, right. the nearest store of uh, yeah. clerical goods not is probably six hours away. So we had to say mass the next day. Mm -hmm. So we, we found the wine in manners that I'll keep to myself. <laughs> but uh, I told Father Christoph, no one can know about this. <laughs> yeah, he's very particular about the wine. Because we, we tried to find wine back in Malaysia because there has to be a certain constitution and everything. Yeah. So it's so hard to find. He would bring the wine from Philippines yes. and keep it there. So Well, and that day he thought I was going to bring it. And I thought he was going to bring it. We were both new, so to say, oh, to that mission. Right. So, but the funny thing is, later on, when you came mm -hmm. from Malaysia mm -hmm. to America, mm -hmm. and you met me, you told me, "Oh, you're the seminarian that found the wine." In this, <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. you haven't met me yet, but you knew that story. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to ask you a question before we're done. Um, three questions: the ones that I always yeah. ask in this show. The first one is. What would you say, uh, let's go in this order. Let's say first, what would, what would you say was the greatest challenge of all this journey to get back to the faith, you know, to try to be in the true Catholic Church? What has been the most difficult part of it? The most difficult part is, um, for me, because I don't think my formation in the Catholic faith was that strong, even though I was in XXPX school, it was to live the faith, you know, in the world where they don't care about your faith, mm -hmm. you know, to live a moral life. It's very draining, you know, to be like going to college where they're godless. Mm -hmm. That was very draining and very tiring. And I would say it's tough to keep that in the, in the, in the world today. It's not easy. And it would not be advisable to be in, in this situation if you are not strong in your faith. You must be very strong in your faith. And it's hard because if you're born in this, you, you expect it that, you know, this is what my parents tell me. And it's probably even easier to lose it, you know, that this is not really my choice, that you might just think that since it's not my choice, I do not want to continue this anymore. 
So I would say this is a gift and you can lose it anytime. No, you, there's no guarantee. And I would say prayer is necessary. It's something that without it, you, you will not stay close to God. And, and if you fall, you will not pick yourself up. And that prayer life is very important, even when, especially when you fall, to, to be able to call on God to help you and not despair and said that, you know, you fell and there's no hope for me. And that is always a temptation too, where you think that once you fall, you can't get back up again. And you can. And I think if you pray, you will find that you have the strength to pick it up again. St. Teresa said that. St. Teresa of Avila said, I trust that a person that prays will not go to hell. Yeah. One of the two things is not going to continue sinning, she said. Yeah. One of the two things is going to happen. Either that person stops sinning or they stop praying. Because if you pray with your sins, you're going to feel the the evil of your sins yes. and you know the, the damage that they do to you yes. so one of the two is going to be unbearable mm -hmm. and you're going to stop one what would be the second question would be what would be the greatest blessing that you have had from finding the catholic faith like what is the most joyful thing that you have had in this whole journey i mean being here is the the most beautiful thing i could have i mean i've never dreamt that i would be here one day though i wished it for many years since I've been, you know, in Omaha, you know, the first time it was my wish to bring the family here. And, and now that I'm here, every day is a blessing to be so close to the Blessed Sacrament, to be able to go to Mass every day. That, that is the ultimate joy. You know, even if I have nothing, this is everything, you know, to me. And, and I just hope that my children feel the same way, that they do not waste the time that they're here you know, and not, you know, take advantage of the time that they're here because they're seeing so much, even they don't feel it. Because when they go out in the world, it's not, it's not Omaha anymore. They need to draw on this. The years that they've been in Omaha will help them tremendously. Definitely. Yes, and that's what I hope they will keep that with them. Mm -hmm. um, the third question that I have is this, and this is probably the most important one for me. As you mentioned, you know, your children, uh, they don't go through those struggles. They don't see all the things that you had to see to come to the true church. You yourself had to go through this, you know, path of bumping against the wall here and there until you got to the place where, oh, this is, uh, this is what seems most logical. This is what seems like the church that Christ established. Mm -hmm. What is the advice that you would give to the younger generation, not just to your children, but to younger generations? What advice would you give to them? Well, see how I see my life as a journey. It's a journey. I mean, like you say, bumps all along the way. And I think to be able to continue this path is necessary that we don't follow people, mm. that we always hear the voice of God. And, 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 and acknowledge, I mean, and to be able to recognize that is very important. So, because any organization can fail, you know, because you've seen infiltration of the church, you know, the church is in the situation is now, any organization is not, not exempt from this kind of attack and may fall. As long as we recognize God, the, his church, and look for that and not see, like, I see a lot of people fall away because, oh, this church, you know, the people are doing bad things and everything, and then they fall. Do not follow people. Follow God. Because when you seek God and they seek God, you will end up together. Do not put your hopes in people. Put your hopes in God and always follow that voice calling you to the true church, you know, wherever it is. So do not settle like, I'm here now. Yes, everything is fine. But when it's not fine, you find the courage to move and, 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 you know, remove yourself and seek him again, you know, and, and that's very important and, and not be discouraged that, you know, it, that it's gone again, you know, it, it's the times that we're in that we, we just have to keep moving, even they have to be, you know, 
keep doing it over and over again. And because the important thing is not the people. We're here because we want to be serving God, loving God. And if whatever we're doing is no longer doing that, we should stop and not do that. And I think if you truly is sincere about doing what you want to do for God, God makes it easier for you. And I know it has made it easy for us because when I was in XXPX, having as many kids I have, I went to church and I went there for the mass. I went there for God. I mean, I had a lot of things that was happening in the church that caused me to distance myself from the parish. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, it was a good thing because I was not attached to people. And I find a lot of people stay because they had attachment to the people in the community and they couldn't move away. Say, what about my school? What about my, you know, the, all the investment I put into this church? And, and they couldn't detach themselves from that and start all over again. But for me, God has arranged it in such a way that we were not close to the community because we were at odds with them because we were following what God was telling us to do. It was right. And they were not, like even the priests, they were, for example, they were telling us after we had my fifth child that we should not be like bunnies and that I should speak to a priest about, you know, how to not have so many children. I was puzzled because I always thought that, you know, coming from St. Mary's, everyone had big families. But for some reason, when I was, you know, in Malaysia, they were not encouraging that. Of course, the Courtney herself only had five children at the time, and I was having my fifth and onwards, and she wasn't too happy about that. And she told me to speak to the priest about it. And then on the pulpit, the priest would said, we want quality, not quantity. And I was, you know, so there was a, there was a distancing. And that helped a lot. Because now that I look at it, if I was so close to the community, I probably would have been so easy for me to remove myself. When the time came, when I see all the errors, I would not act so much on, you know, something is wrong, I need to go. I would have like maybe hesitated and said, no, you know, by love, I wouldn't have this, I wouldn't have that, I wouldn't have the math. You know. But because I wasn't so close, I could step back and just look at it in an objective way and see for what it is. You know, I came for the Mass, I came for my faith, and that is still intact. Everything else is falling away. So I had to remove those, not remove my faith. So that was easy for me. And I think God would do that for you if you were sincere and always seeking Him in every way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very true not to follow the people. Um, follow the church, because there will always be the church. Now, whether if it that that be only one bishop or just yeah. one priest, yeah. you know, and, and where he might be, you know, it's a different story. Mm -hmm. But there will always be a church. But what you say is a very good point. And that actually also has been said by the saints. Do not be attached to people because the church itself cannot fail. Yes. But the people in the church yes. fail and, and have failed in the uh, past. Yes, uh. So that is, and I, I think for young people, that is a very good advice because also... You say that when you go to college, you follow the crowd, mm -hmm. you follow your friends, you want to be popular. Mm -hmm. When you go to a job and you follow the crowd, uh, even as you say the, the, in the SSPX, and you know I'm not trashing the SSPX here particularly, but a lot of people don't agree with their position. Mm, yes. But what you say is perfectly true. They don't leave because of the social yes. attachment to it, you know, because there is such a big society there, there is such a big school, all these things. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why they say, well, I don't want to follow the position that makes more sense to me because it's, uh, I value these things more. Which, you know, to each his own, we'll see how, how those things work. But I think it's a very good advice. I really thank you for being with us. Uh, is there anything you want to mention before we wrap it up? I really, really thank you, especially for doing it in such, such short notice. And I thank your son over there also waiting for us. <laughs> I'm really happy for having been done. So this is, uh, has been another episode of Back to the Faith uh, where I, with Angie here. Thank you, Angie, again for joining us. I, I, this is your host, Father Carlos Cepeda, and you have been watching The Catholic Wire. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Catholic Wire. If you have found this show helpful, please say a prayer for all our collaborators. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and share with your friends. For questions and comments, you may contact us at thecatholicwire.org.